0: Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. Welcome back everyone to Hashing It Out. As always, I'm your trusty host, Dr. Corey Petty, with my trusty co-host, Colin Couchet. Say hello, everybody, Colin. Hello, everybody, Colin. Nice. Today, nice. Today. we've got, we've got... <laughs> we keep going, nice. Oh, I
1: gotta stop, okay, my bad, yeah.
0: Today we've got Kevin Fisher, a former Plasma developer, now moving Kelvin. on to <laughs> Kelvin, sorry. <laughs> We could set it right part before we started too. Kelvin Fisher, a uh, former Plasma developer, a core felt I'd say Plasma developer. Uh, now moving on to something else, which we'll probably talk about during this interview. Kelvin, why don't you give us a quick introduction as to kind of like how you got into the space uh, and then where you're at now. Cool. Sure.
2: Um, so I got into the space a while ago, I think 2016. So not not too early, but not too late. And I actually met someone who used to work for the Ethereum Foundation at a hackathon in Berlin. And it was kind of random, we were basically, I I was born in Germany, but I unfortunately don't speak much German. Um, But we were the only two people at this hackathon who did not speak much German and happened to be on the same team together. And uh, I, I didn't know that this person had anything to do with Ethereum. I'd seen the project before, but hadn't really looked into it too much and we worked on a uh, interesting mini smart contract project together and i think we got second place or something and that really kind of spurred my interest and um, kind of through that connection was introduced to a couple other people and ended up meeting the uh, oracle team i think they're not i don't know if they're called oracle anymore i think they might be i think it's provable now but uh, i ended up working for them for for a couple months going back to school and then keep uh, kept kept up with the space and then eventually I was offered an interesting opportunity to go to Thailand to work with Omiseko on their plasma uh, development so mainly I, I was really interested on, on the research side of things and at that point in time this was the end of 2017 and beginning of 2018, Plasma still hadn't really been fleshed out very thoroughly. And they were just starting to build out the first implementation. So there was Plasma VP. I think that was the only thing that even existed at that point in time. So, so
1: what yeah. uh, you say you got into the Ethereum space of 2016. What is your experience prior to that? What made you um, apply to this hackathon? Where, where, what's your background and why would Plasma be um, a good fit for what, your, what the background is?
2: My background was actually pretty unrelated. So I, uh, at that point in time, I was working at a coal-fired power plant in the UK. <laughs> it's very strange, but they, there was a power plant. They had a software engineering division. And so I was working on actually renewables, renewables inside of a coal-fired power plant. But it was it was pretty random. I just had a thing for hackathons at this point in time. So I, I would go to as many hackathons as I possibly could and um, really just to see what kind of opportunities were out there. And I'd, I'd read the white paper before I'd gone, I went to the specific hackathon, so it was kind of on my mind. But it was kind of a vague interest, maybe fueled probably a little bit at the beginning by the, the idea of making a lot of money on it. But eventually it it seemed like such a step up from what I'd previously seen in the in the cryptocurrency space that it struck me as something sufficiently novel,
0: I could say that i remember i remember you may not remember this, but I introduced you or watched I watched the panel and then led uh, or hosted the the like the plasma group at devcon four and I remember at that point in time there was already kind of a myriad of different types of plasmas and so on and so forth, and where things were mm-hmm. going. Um, and my mind was a bit murky. Um, you talk about kind of that state of plasma, your involvement and then where we are now. Yeah, for sure. So I think it's important to look at the history of this thing
2: to kind of understand where that murkiness came from. Um, when, when the plasma paper was first published, it was the, the paper itself. Isn't very clear about what plasma is supposed to be it's kind of a high-level idea of how you could maybe do certain things and it it, uh, from my understanding it was supposed to be a sort of blockchainified version of lightning or uh, payment channels at least to start and so basically if you take a payment channel and then you say okay what if we want to add multiple participants and then we want to all of a sudden add a consensus mechanism on top and then um at a certain point you get you get plasma in the middle, so it hadn't really been developed uh, at that point in time. And then they uh, soon, soon after the paper was released, people started thinking about how you could actually build one of these chains because it, the paper described it as a framework, and so but there was no code or there was no details about how you would build something like this. So all of a sudden, you get you know the first iteration of plasma, which was that plasma MVP. And you start to have this weird thing. And I think it came out of the fact that Plasma MVP was was named as its own thing, that every single time somebody came up with a construction that kind of generally fit within the realm of Plasma, so within this framework that the original paper had described, you would get a completely new name, Mm. even though in a lot of ways, these different constructions are very similar. They're sort of, there's certain fundamental fundamental differences between them, but they share a lot of the underlying architecture.
0: It's and, almost like saying like if every every blockchain network was called blockchain something, as opposed, right? You know what I mean?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, as instead of really what I was looking for the whole time was, what if we can just have something that we call plasma, and then kind of have way to describe these different mechanisms. But it's never, you know, it's not plasma P and plasma cache and plasma, whatever, and all these different things, but just, you know, plasma, but with this feature added to it, right. And it was it was really hard to break through that for a long time, just because we had, I don't know, there must have been 20 different plasma flavors at some point. But of course, a lot of these things were, like, people would work on them for a short period of time, and then no one would follow up on them, or they would they would just propose them, they would get a name, and then no one actually implemented them. So um, eventually, when I moved from Omiseko to Plasma Group, the priority was basically solve this problem, so develop a generalized plasma construction that would encapsulate all of these other Plasma constructions. So you had you no longer had a need for, you know, MVP or cash or whatever. And the, the way that this works now, at least, um, I, I actually need to talk to them now to see where they're at. But when, before I, I left Plasma Group, the idea was create a common base platform and then have these plugins for different kind of security models. So. Plasma MVP and Plasma Cache give you different security models under different circumstances. So, so you could kind of fluidly move between these models uh, without too much effort. And so you no longer have this strong distinction between all the different flavors of plasma.
1: So let's let's talk talk a bit about flavors because mm-hmm. <clears throat> these there are a lot, or there were a lot of, of flavors of plasma, and they all, like you said had very similar core, but they offered something different. Can you go through some of the, the, the more primary quote-unquote flavors and describe them um, and how they kind of differ from each other so that the audience kind of understands, you know, how we got to where we're going now?
2: Yeah, for sure. So I would say the two biggest plasma flavors are um, MVP and cash, right? So these are, these are the only ones that I think are are really being built upon. There may be things that are slight modifications to those two, but those seem to be the primary, the two primary families. And without trying to think about the name, MVP is basically, um, you can kind of think about it. Like if, if, uh, obviously it's expensive to, to put things on the blockchain, right? It's there's, there's a limited amount of space. That space is not cheap. And so the idea there is, okay, instead of putting all of our transactions on this blockchain directly, we can have, let's say some group of people wants to come together and they pool their money together and they keep their own log of transactions within this pool of money, right? So you can only transact within the pool of money. But every once in a while, you take a certain set of those transactions that have occurred, right, which is a block in this case, and you publish a, a commitment, sort of like a compressed version of that block to Ethereum. And the point of this is that everyone within this kind of sub pool of money can freely move money around um, between one another. And it's really, really cheap, right? Because you're not publishing every single transaction to Ethereum. You're only publishing a very small piece of information to Ethereum. Uh, in this case, uh, a commitment. I don't know if you've talked about cryptographic commitments on this podcast before.
0: I would assume that our audience understands it.
2: Okay, cool. So so you're publishing a commitment, right? You, you're creating a Merkle tree of all of the transactions. You get the root. You publish that and the point of that is then you can you can point to a specific transaction that happened in the plasma chain and you can say okay in block x i received uh whatever it is 10 eth right and you can then go ahead and attempt to withdraw that money by basically saying okay i received 10 eth but of course uh, the blockchain doesn't Uh, The the main blockchain that you have been publishing these commitments to doesn't understand that you uh, or doesn't know if you've spent that money later on. So what what happens then is that um, since you can't prove that you haven't spent it in the future, because it's too expensive to prove that, uh, you start a waiting period. Oh, background noise. It's fine. So you start a waiting period. Where you, the the smart contract, the plasma chain smart contract, basically says if anybody can prove that this person spent their money, or this 10 ETH, for example, then this person isn't going to get their money out, right? You, you're canceling that withdrawal. So the the critical or fundamental thing about Plasma MVP is the fact that everyone has kind of pooled their money into one central sort of bank of funds. Which makes it really, really easy to uh, send money to one another because it can be completely fungible. You can send, you know, any portion of your money at any time, any fraction of your of your owned assets. The fundamental problem that this introduces, though, is that it it enables um, the what we call the plasma chain operator, or really the consensus mechanism that is uh, determining the contents of these plasma blocks. It enables that, that consensus mechanism to potentially try to steal your assets because they can, uh, they can create a, a transaction output that has, let's say the entire balance of this shared pool of money and try to withdraw it. And you are forced to respond to that by withdrawing your money within a very short period of time. Which is obviously not good for any individual, but if we're talking about, let's say, thousands of people on a plasma chain all trying to withdraw their money from this plasma chain, which requires a, a transaction on Ethereum within a short period of time, that's, it's, it's a potential attack vector where those people might not be able to get their money out because it's just way too expensive to post that transaction that withdrawal transaction
1: yeah and the larger it gets i mean there's like you know let's just say you get a hundred thousand participants which i obviously would not be the ideal case but Mm -hmm. you know they can't all get their transactions through necessarily on the main net if they all have to individually post them and there's no batching mechanism for them to do that um, exactly. And this is why I was thinking things like court and rule would be a very important asset to the plasma ecosystem, in that you can exit to something that was a higher plasma chain. So, so the audience re- remembers from the plasma white paper if they read it. Not everybody in our audience is, by the way, an Ethereum-oriented developer. Um, the plasma white paper had this concept of court and rule, and it was basically plasma chains of plasma chains. So a plasma chain could then open up another plasma chain, which would be kind of like a su- another plasma chain underneath that. And everybody, it would inherit the security of, of the uh, parent plasma chain. And also it would inherit the security of the people below them because they'd have to validate all the way up. Um, and this would enable um, a more, um, um, uh, a, a more uh, throughput, light way of scaling i thought as well as enabling possibilities of privacy um in plasma meaning that you can use plasma to sort of uh, create little private plasma chains which only have sub subgroups of people where you know you know what's in what's going on underneath that umbrella uh, and that's something that enterprise really looked for these are all mm-hmm. things that i thought would be great with like the quarter rule but then i hear from georgius on our, our podcast with him uh, that court and rule has been thrown out the window and that generic smart contracts on Plasma is hard and that these kind of things probably will never happen. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about how he came to that conclusion and whether or not you agree with him.
2: Yeah, okay. Um, I don't know how long you had, George, how long ago was this? I can check one second.
1: It was about nine months ago at least.
2: Nine months ago. Okay.
1: Oh, wait, it had to be, actually, no, because I met him in person at SBC in January. So it
2: had to be like almost a year ago.
0: December 15th. Okay,
2: cool. Yeah, so so I think at the time that George Rose was talking about this, he's probably completely correct. There was, uh, on, the, on the topic of these sort of nested plasma chains, I've actually written a, written a blog post about this, and it's they turned out to be more difficult than originally thought. There's just some things that you have to think about where if you can't, for example, get a dispute into the parent chain, that you need to make sure that there's enough time to get a dispute into the chain on top of that and on top of that and all these different things. So there's kind of these weird things about timing. It's my, my feeling around this is that it's doable, but that it requires, a lot of effort and the really important thing is just to get the base layer plasma chain finished before you can even start to think about these things. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily out of the window
0: and um, put the cart before the horse in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, it would take a lot of unnecessary work because you can't, you can't even use that until you've built the base layer chain out. And this ties into the idea of these generalized plasma chains or the the plasma chains that can support more arbitrary smart contract logic, because the, in in order to do a lot of these complex um, arbitration situations or to deal with these situations, you really need to support interesting logic, right? Otherwise it's, it's just going to be a nightmare to hard code all of these things into your plasma chain. And then, you know, if you, if you made a mistake, with any part of the the whole system it becomes very very difficult to change those things right there's this was a um, a fundamental issue with a lot of the early plasma efforts was that they were basically uh, hard coding transaction logic into the plasma chain itself so you would only have let's say three or four different transaction types which again looks very similar to the to the reason why we have something like ethereum today anyway right we want these we want people to just be able to deploy their own <laughs> transaction types um and that was something that within the last year so so certainly after Georgios was on this podcast uh, was really developed a lot of that by plasma group in the form of uh, what, what we were calling predicates so this this really enabled not not perfect uh, smart contracts, like not something like you could see on Ethereum, but certainly very, very complex contracts that you couldn't have, uh, even, you know, a year ago, or I think this was really fleshed out, uh, after ETH Denver. So seven months ago, eight months ago.
0: So in your opinion, based on your experience with how things have moved, where they're going and maybe fundamental constraints of the idea of plasma chains, are they going to be useful in the future? And if so, with, like within what context? So I, I certainly think
2: they'll be useful in the future. Um, I think there are still a lot of really, really difficult issues to tackle around the UX of layer two of layer two anything. Right? This is just a yeah. really hard problem. Even just something as simple as signing things, you would have to maybe. Take your existing wallet and sign arbitrary data but this data often isn't clean data to sign i mean and... layer
1: one has problems with ux let alone layer yeah, two
2: you exactly know? i mean it's it's taking the ux problems of layer one and it's already way worse on layer two so as far as saying that it's useful i think it is um i have a feeling like eventually something will exist that looks like Plasma. I'm not sure if it'll be under the Plasma moniker, but it will work and it'll be useful. Um, I'm really seeing it, I I see it being useful, certainly in the context of these sort of private, private chains that you were talking about before. Is this something I've always really wanted people to use them for? If you want just a small group of people to, to have transactions between themselves and you don't want that to be public at all, you can completely do that.
0: I've definitely and... used used like this this whole like when plasma first started. Me and Colin, I think we're on the same page here. Was viewing plasma chains as the intranets to the internet. You have kind of a, yeah. a group of people that care about specific things with a um, less constrained like security that uh, they can interact with each other for cheap and fast, and then but it's rooted into something that was much much more trustworthy in a lot of ways, which allowed kind of it allowed the concept of intranets to coexist on a a more global internet. And I think that's still kind of what they're probably going to be used for. I just don't know Mm -hmm. how it's going to work.
2: Yeah. I think, I think they're certainly going to be used for that, but that targets a specific audience, right? It targets the kind of enterprise audience, which means that you need to really work on your UX before you're going to be able to get to that point. Um, But I think the other- I don't know, have you seen SAP software? It's pretty crappy. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) I've had the misfortune of dealing with it before. Um, I think the other kind of obvious big use case is just any of these decentralized exchange platforms. It just makes sense. um, Or just generally speaking, Plasma is really useful when there's a reason for a lot of people to be transacting within one another, within a group of people um but not necessarily needing to transact outside of that group of people and when you're entering a venue for transacting this makes a lot of sense if i'm saying i'm going to enter into the you know plasma decentralized exchange i put my money in there i expect to be trading within this group of traders and then i'm going to exit that situation so i can continue to do other things i'm not really expecting to go from this venue to um Whatever it is, buying groceries the next day.
1: Yeah, I like the word covenant. You know, you enter a covenant with anybody participating in this chain. You know, the, the anybody can enter that covenant. You can just join it, um, sign your name on the dotted line in blood with the devil, and then suddenly you are a member of the covenant. And then you could go ahead and do all the dark things you want in there. Um, but you have to obey the rules. And if you break the rules, then the covenant penalizes you, or you know the or whatever, or you can't get your money out or But the Covenant itself should not be the one breaking the rules. And that's kind of the thing that also bothers me about Plasma is that, you know, somebody has to uh, really be on top of their game. And there's an availability problem with the Plasma model. Mm -hmm. Meaning that if you are unavailable during a time period where you need to contest, then you are boned. And if you don't notice, or if you just don't notice, let's just say you have something that's supposed to alert you and that thing fails. um, Which is another type of availability problem, then you are also boned. Mm -hmm. Um, There's absolutely no way to retrieve your funds. Now in a typical real world scenario, what you would do is you'd go to a lawyer and you would file a lawsuit and you'd get your money back. But in this particular case, we're assuming a level of anonymity that's a little greater than, um, than um, you know, your typical real world application. So maybe it's not reasonable to expect this kind of, um, level of service for a protocol like this. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, if, if, if you can't get that level of service, we're not going to see the dollar amounts we're hoping for, for true global adoption. So I'm a little, I'm a little, uh, concerned with the model itself and that, you know, just this, this, you know, attestation contestation kind of model doesn't necessarily really work really well in the real world. And, and I'm kind of curious, I'm sorry, I went on a little bit of a lecture mode there, maybe, I don't know, or, I went on my pulpit like I do. Um, But would you say that you have those same concerns or am I being irrational or putting undue expectations on something that should just be a very simple, basic mechanism?
2: Uh, No, I don't think you're being irrational at all. I think these are completely valid concerns and um, certainly something that I spent a lot of time thinking about when I was working on this stuff. It's the idea that I could just go offline and then all my money is gone. It's kind of a nightmare. And and it's you know, honestly when people say okay, we want to have people online every let's say 2 weeks or something, that's not really a great model. I mean, there are times when I'm not checking, you know, X social media for 2 weeks or whatever or I'm not checking my emails for a while, so even even something like that. It's it's not unlikely that somebody could go offline for that period of time. So
0: well, if you're dealing about value, yeah. Um, you you could maybe apply a little more rigor to how, uh, to, to how often you need to bring someone online because email and social media, while they have some type of social value or something like that, um, yeah. your bank account is a different story. And a lot of this stuff is, is, more it's closer to a bank account than it is social media at least at this point
2: yeah I, I i still do think that if let's say there was a requirement that you had to check your bank account every two weeks you'd hear plenty of stories of people you know accidentally forgetting to check their bank account yeah, every two that's weeks certainly true money's gone. um it's it's not a great situation, uh, but i think i'm hopeful that you could have the the uh, this idea of watchtowers, right? Have people be incentivized to watch on your behalf, which is certainly more useful than you going to uh, check every two weeks. It's a middle ground. You're delegating trust to them. Right, exactly. So that is, of course, the other thing. You are trusting them to to behave in a certain way, although you, um, in certain instances, you can kind of provably punish them for misbehaving. So you, you could...
1: So honestly, yeah. if you're talking about a watchtower in this particular situation, the the use case of a watchtower tower is on uh, mm-hmm. proof of uh, proof that they exited you properly properly, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, so that means that you can just submit another proof that they didn't. Right. And in which case, the funds that you pay them, uh, let's just say you pay them on a biweekly basis, whatever, they don't get it. They don't get those funds and so then it becomes an economic problem you know do they want do they want to get paid by their users or do they want to you know um ignore this thing which by the way they should have zero benefit over to to to, to not do a good job as a watchtower um and not do their job really all it is is incentivizing them to have availability so that you don't have to
2: right and it is a difficult problem because this requires that the watchtower Uh, let's say you want to punish them for the full amount that you lost then they have to have that money available uh and locked up as a bond that you can slash or that you can take from which then means that if you want them to keep that money as a bond you're basically paying them the interest rate on that bond to keep to to keep watching your money so you're paying them let's say five percent a year or something
1: yeah, or there could be a maximum withdrawal amount on plasma chains, and then you have to invest in the Watchtower a stake of the maximum withdrawal amount, which, ah, yeah, I don't know. That's actually even weirder. Yeah, so it is a complicated problem. Jeez, yeah. yeah, it's real. There's
2: so many issues. And, and then, of course, there's like this, um, this looming thing that I've always worried about with, uh, I don't know if you've read Phil Diane's somewhat recent running paper. I think it was Phil Dian and a few other people. Not
0: a recent one, but I know he keeps putting
2: them out. Yeah, I I guess it wasn't too recent. Maybe 7 8 months ago, I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. But um part of this was this idea of a minor extractable value. And this is a massive issue in these plasma chains that if I could stall uh, a blockchain for Two weeks, right? If I could, if I could capture um, blocks for let's say two weeks and just completely prevent any uh, withdrawal transactions from going through, I could theoretically, or or I could I could uh, let's say post a transaction taking all of the money out of a plasma chain, and then block anyone from submitting challenges to my withdrawal. And so then there's a lot of things you have to think about. It, like, is this at all profitable for a miner to do? You know, we're seeing these weird, these weird things where there are miners who could be extracting value from, um, from these on-chain decentralized exchanges, but they don't. And so there's there's so much unexplored material here, generally speaking, with these layer two constructions. And it's the same issue with uh, with payment channels. It's not. This isn't exclusive to plasma chains, but. Um, it certainly could be bigger with plasma chains because I assume that the the
0: average value of a plasma chain will be higher than the average value of well, a it's, single payment. It's, for, it's, for, it's, it's meant to generalize across the number of users as opposed to just two. Right,
2: right. So it's, there are so many kind of unexplored things in the world of plasma. I think the the shift within, let's say the last year or so has been to, to go from this theoretical standpoint where there's just so many unanswered questions to why don't we just build the first iteration of it and get people to use it for small values and start to just see these effects in practice and see what happens. Um, which is, I think it's been a very useful shift. So I just feel like there was kind of an echo chamber, uh, for the first, let's say year or so of, of plasma research where without actually having built something it was really difficult to see those problems and finally that approach changed where it was kind of start building it first then review it for problems then keep doing research then keep building instead of just trying to tackle all of these problems at once because there i think there are a ton of issues that um haven't been resolved yet
1: so speaking of like the early the early build stuff and whatnot. I, I mean, these MVP calls, I think started er, maybe may last year or maybe earlier than that. Um, there were the, 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 there's a lot of people on those calls mm-hmm. what is the current development like ecosystem surrounding plasma are groups bailing out. Are we consolidating to people who are really dedicated to this cause? Um, what is the state of research? Is it going more academic? Is it, um, still trying to prove with, you know, basic, um, uh, minimal viable products sort of, I mean, what is, what is the, what is, what is the, what is the ecosystem around this development looking like? Are you guys still funded? Like what's going on?
2: Yeah. So, so, well, I, I'm no longer part of Plasma Group, but, uh they were still certainly funded uh, when I left. And so so plasma group was kind of the, the big consolidation in this research. And this was this was an effort um, by a couple other people and myself, sort of towards the end of 2018, where the the, the problem before this was that people were t- were, there were a bunch of projects that wanted to use plasma. Right? they wanted to build these, these chains out and they each had their own specific use case for these chains and so for each individual chain they were building it completely from scratch and they were adding their own transaction types kind of on a you know our chain needs this so we're going to add these specific transaction types and we're going to add these specific uh, exit games to be able to handle these transaction types and all that and it became really clear after a while that this was just not a good way to approach a research problem, like an infrastructure level research problem. It made no sense to have 10 different companies or whatever it was, 20 different companies working on their own plasma chain with their own transaction types. And so Plasma Group was, was this effort where we basically took some of the, the people from a, a bunch of different projects and consolidated it into a single organization, nonprofit organization, so there was no, you know, We didn't have any specific project that we were working on. The only goal was build the base level infrastructure out without kind of prejudice for for one transaction type or one use case or the other. You know, it's really
1: interesting you say that, and I'm sorry to cut you off real quick there, but
2: this mirrors
1: what I'm seeing in the F2.0 ecosystem from an outsider's perspective. This is exactly kind of what's going on. There's a billion people making different clients. They're all talking about different, like this or that. They literally had to fly people to Canada to to be in a cabin so they could get all their clients to talk to each other. Um, Recently, um, like decentralization doesn't work when you're trying to build something that needs coordination. It's generality. It's, yeah, it's got to be example, incredible
0: like when it's just far low in the infrastructure. It has to be incredibly general to account for all the different use cases people want to use it for. And that's really hard to do. Right. Yeah, and, but
1: like it seems like all these teams just want to build their own thing and then expect it to just work together. It's like or, you know, but they it takes it takes like it takes an authoritarian approach to build a single vision, you know? And I hate to be that guy, but like, you know, I feel like history's almost kind of proven this point, you know? <laughs> Like at every democracy is like overthrown by a dictator and it's really kind of strange, but then it winds up going back to democracy, but it's almost like a cleanup period where shit just gets too crazy. And then people just need to kind of like fix stuff because things are broken and we can't all agree anymore. And so somebody just says, I'm just going to agree for you. And I feel like that's kind of keeps happening over and over again in the Ethereum space is that we see these like ideas of these, Desperate teams across the world, um, interacting in different time zones and trying to, you know, bridge language barriers, um, uh, and you know, just building their own clients in different languages. And they come up with all these, like in Plasma, different transaction formats, right? Yeah. But there needs, there needs to be need like, somebody needs to co, you know, needs to coalesce at some point. And um, I think it's interesting to see that Plasma kind of did that, and is now just a Plasma Group, and is working towards that end. Whereas ETH 2.0 yeah, is only now coming to that realization.
2: Sorry, so just just like for clarity, there there are still other organizations working on plasma outside of Plasma Group. Um, plasma Group was just sort of the effort to take or to, to kind of create a, um, a, a something that other people could coordinate around, and and specifically the, the idea of making it nonprofit was to to signal publicly that we had no uh specific interests in making the plasma the the plasma implementation work one way or another right and other people are still going to want to build their own plasma chains but what we've seen and i I think this was a really good uh, outcome was that people from other projects kind of came in and Uh, contributed back to the more general plasma work that we were doing and then now we're going back and and applying these ideas that we uh, developed to their own projects and and now we can kind of have a a common base for these plasma chains and then my my hope is that we can have a common let's say transaction format where so, so that it allows all these different plasma chains to interact with one another uh, or that you could, let's say, take the same uh, client and interact with any plasma chain that's following this standard. Right? Yeah.
1: Or eventually have something that can be integrated directly into like Geth, where it right. just becomes basically part of the standard for standard <laughs> for. <laughs> Somebody was hammering in the background. Uh becomes part of the standard for uh, the Geth node itself to just have some sort of plasma implementation built in. Um, such that, uh, you know, um, people can start playing with it. And, and, you know, but I also am a little afraid it's going to go kind of the way of Whisper, where I don't feel like Whisper was ever really fleshed out or ever finished or oh, ever kind of
0: They had of one guy on it. I mean, Yeah, so maybe, like, maybe well, that's two, true. right? It's, it's, like, they've had a lot of different... You'll know
1: more about the history of Whisper than I do, so go ahead. That yeah, I mean,
0: kinda... Whis- Whisper was um, sold as an idea, as one of the three prongs of Ethereum, and then they didn't put a lot of money behind it because... Probably the ICO boom and that's where like and then that became basically a series of of, of putting out fires And trying to make things work and which put a lot of focus and development onto the blockchain space the same thing happened with swarm And I'd say a lot of the talent of people who could do decentralized storage with swarm moved to IPFS or SIA or Storage S-T-O-R-J And so on and so forth and so what what we saw was like the original promise of Ethereum delivered the Ethereum blockchain and not much else um, and but I don't see that happening with plasma because there seems to be a lot of disparate people wanting to scale, um, and potentially with respect to you know privacy as having a a somewhat autonomous organization. I, I hate to say those two words together. Um, working outside of the blockchain, but rooted into the blockchain, so that something happened within it, they could leave and have a, a valued asset that is more more general, right? And that's kind of the whole idea was to lock funds up, interact with yourselves within a, a given context. Uh, whatever that context is, is the organization or cohort or covenant, whatever the hell you want to call it, a group of people doing shit. Um, and then when that when you don't, when you want to leave that or you'd like to leave that or something goes wrong, you can. And that's the whole idea of plasma chain, which is much which is a much more general slash um, prioritized thing needed now. In the context of blockchains and so i don't see it going the way of of whisper or swarm yeah and i i don't either i think there's
2: a um there's this kind of thing building around plasma where there are a lot of interesting ideas coming out of it a lot of kind of fundamental tools that other people can use to build their own projects and plasma is in a weird way not well-defined it's really difficult to say this is plasma because it's more of a it's more of an idea a high-level idea and that can be implemented in different ways and my honest guess is that the way that plasma will go um is that for the there will probably be a, a few projects that call themselves plasma and they you know end up going into production let's say on probably not not within a few years but like at a minimum at a minimum three or something right and then there's going to be other projects that don't call themselves plasma but that actually follow all of the core concepts that probably take a lot of the research from what we officially call plasma research and make valuable products out of it so it's it's a little weird but i think the, the the really valuable thing that quote plasma End quote has, has given us is just this fundamental research about what these layer two systems are. And we've done a lot of work trying to describe in a, in a more formal way what the difference is between these different layer two constructions and how you can, you, but analyzing the security properties of these different things and, and how you can apply certain properties to get this result, certain properties to get that result. So that's really where I think it's going to shine. Long-term
1: you see a lot of differentiation between general state channels with smart contract capability and a general plasma with smart contract capability.
0: Number of people.
2: Yeah. I mean, number of people is certainly the, the most important thing there that you could, I, if, if you're just going to have a state channel, you would have to have everyone agreeing on every state on every transition, which is kind of a a mess sometimes.
0: Passing around messages that way is not an efficient way of doing things. Yeah.
2: I certainly think there is a value to doing this both ways. I think it's just about finding the specific use cases for them.
0: I'd agree.
1: Yeah, because there was a time period where people were arguing whether or not if one was available, the other one was necessary. And I always kind of saw just this, again, I'm leading back to, I still think Court rules Rule the, the linchpin that makes Plasma, the, 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 the key feature that makes Plasma awesome, minimally viable. <laughs> like without that, it's just like a side chain Maybe it's a payment channel, basically. Um, you know, it's 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 like, I mean, kinda. I mean, it's multi-participant payment channel, basically.
0: Yeah, but that's valuable in a lot of contexts. It doesn't have to be a panacea. I think. Well, I think what's going to happen in terms of scalability is we'll have scale, like we'll have better scalability at the base layer, and then we'll have a myriad of layer two solutions for various contexts depending on the use case. And some of those use cases will be a combination of those things.
1: Right. Again, though I wasn't I was saying like from a from a um from the perspective of you know whether when this gets really interesting to me is still around wow. around court and rule. Like that's where I was like, Oh God, that's the key feature that I think a lot of the people I had talking to and like say two thousand seventeen especially in the enterprise space were just like really interested, like worried about privacy, worried about control. Like they wanted to have control over the assets that they're flowing, yeah. they wanted, you know, they wanted that kind of thing going on. And that to me made sense for them. Not, not for everybody, but for them. So yeah, that's, that's kind of still the key feature I was looking for. So I'm actually really hoping that Plasma come, does like deliver eventually um, because I think it's absolutely necessary. And also, um, you know, no matter what system, if they solve this problem in Ethereum, it can be solved anywhere else. And that's the, that's the, you know the, that's basically showing once you've done something, the world looks at it and goes, oh, now I know that's doable, I'm gonna do it too. Or I can improve upon this because we don't have the constraints you do, but um, you know, right now it's still still in that what I consider the, the mostly theoretical. Can we get the feature set we need to make this interesting kind of space? So yeah. Anyway, Kelvin, um, what uh, what are you doing now? What's going on with uh, with uh, you? Said you left the plasma group. So what's what's got you uh, interested in life at the moment?
2: Um, I have been up to a lot of random things. I, I really, you know, I was working on Plasma for a long time and I, I, um, I think Plasma specifically is one of these problems where the general topic doesn't change when you're working on it. You still have the same overall architecture and even if you're coming up with new ways to do certain things, you're, you're kind of working on the same problem and it, it got pretty, tiring after a while i think you need some sense of um just variety in your life (laughs) to keep things interesting and something overall that interests me is just getting a perspective of how systems work at scale and so in in this case understanding why the crypto space is the way that it is is really fascinating to me right there's so many strange things happening in the crypto space. Where it's like, is anything happening? Is nothing happening? Um, what are these projects? Why are they? You know, why are these decisions being made the way that they are? Because it it just looks so confusing uh, from the outside. And so, since I left, I've I've been spending a lot of my time studying this. So I, I usually get on phone calls with people or meet with people uh, in New York City and just talk to them hear hear out where they're coming from and what they're working on why they're working on it what their kind of opinions are on the crypto space and i've been kind of just trying to build a, a better picture of how this whole thing works and then on the side i've been doing a lot of random things i you know i bought this mainframe that i've been working on and i'm going to turn it into a kind of art installation which has been a, a very big project of mine um, yeah,
1: big is a real world for it. You. you built a, you got a big old mainframe. So yeah, yeah, cool. I got
2: a four thousand pound uh, IBM mainframe oh, from man. the University of Connecticut.
0: I spent a bunch of time, my my, I cut my teeth in um, working with supercomputers, to mm-hmm. like high performance uh, physics computations. So I have, a, I, have a, I have an affinity for large machines that need a lot of cooling and are very cumbersome
2: indeed indeed it's been a, a bit of a nightmare moving this thing around but it's finally in a semi-permanent state
1: do you um, think a blockchain or some sort of a decentralized network can replace the functionality that mainframe financial system in mainframes in financial systems currently occupy do you feel like we're going to reach the scalability level and the speed necessary for um replacing a majority if not all of those kind of machines with protocols
0: um no I
2: I mean I don't I don't think so in the current the, the way that people currently think about these systems right I like Colin you and I have talked about this before but I I think there's a there's something fundamentally wrong with how we're building these things and until that changes i don't think it's going to replace much of anything
0: can you can you elucidate a little bit about what you guys talked about and why why that's the sure case?
2: so so i feel like the the, the way these blockchain systems have been built is kind of been this idea that we want this global financial system right and I agree with the underlying concept, but the approach has been let's build one big thing that everybody uses, which is completely wrong, right? It just go, it just flies against the face of everything that we've learned about how people work, the way it's, that we build. It's ironically centralized. It is. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, this is why you see all these problems with governance around these things is because you can't govern at that scale. You can't, have people make agreements at that scale on something that impacts people from so many different walks of life. So I we've seen that the way that people work we have these circles, right? We have I have a small circle that I immediately transact with and I have a larger circle I mesh with other circles of people and that model of these like network of networks just makes more sense for pretty much anything around human coordination um and i think until people kind of internalize that and really start building these systems with that in mind but also with the fact in mind that we're talking about systems of people and that people should be able to make decisions and change you know change things about their their reality when they they decide to do that so kind of a plug here for for uh more subjectivity within these blockchain protocols by default i don't i don't think it's really gonna take off until these things are recognized
0: i've got a lot to say about that colin you got something
1: yeah, I don't know where to start though. That's the problem. <laughs> I think it kind of could probably have could. a whole
0: entire other hour of conversation. We really about this. could,
1: and so like here's the problem: is I don't want to spiral too far out into like La La Land, like you know I do. Yeah. Um, but you know this kind of lends back to some observations I've made about human history and um, uh, the, the idea of you know democracy and authoritarianism <laughs> and how one seems to replace the other, replaces the other, replaces the other. Um, I feel like a lot of what we're seeing. In this space is an attempt at gross like democracy, like you said, but really we only care about this immediate circle around us. So um, I'm not trying to expose too much about what I'm currently working on, uh, other than I think it actually lends well to the model you talked about. And I'm not trying to shill on my own show, but, you know, I think. I mean, I if think you're going to shill correct. on
0: something, you might as well shill on your own show.
1: Yeah, I feel like I feel like <laughs> the idea that that people can have this, this like, one protocol to rule them all. If that protocol isn't super freaking thin and absolutely freaking flexible, then it's lost already. That protocol needs to be super, 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 super tight.
0: And it's a protocol and like, of what? What are we talking about? We
1: just need to come to
0: an agreement. Agreement. Okay, it's a protocol of Agreement. Cost.
1: No, actually, what we need to come to agreement on is, uh, is this true or not? And that's it. Binary consensus. Can we say that this thing is true or not? It's literally just a way to say, is this a fact? If we could come to on that basic level, you can build out any sort of individualized system that you want. And that's what I think is just the only thing we really actually care about. All these other features and, you know, kitchen sink design mechanisms and stuff. um, And the idea of like, even just like when you say, "Hey, we need to degree, agree on what is true," but we're going to also degree, agree on whether or not it's uh, you know timed correctly or in this order. Like these are all different questions, and it's separate from the concept of consensus. At the end of the day, consensus is about one thing: true or false on one piece of information. And um, I think uh, I think a lot of these protocols kind of go too hard on. Um, what consensus means, and they, they wind up coupling their data with their consensus model. And as a result, um, they make it clunky, um, when really that clunkiness is sort of better left to the sub that we kind of are building. So yeah, anyway, I don't want to get into that too much. But, um, you know, I, I think I see what Kelvin's saying, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we don't have to have the same language. And that language, just like we have the same language in math, you know, math is is basically a universal language. We can model it in different ways, but it's always going to be axiomatically kind of true. Um, and 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 that's kind of what I think we need in as a protocol like base level layer zero protocol level is what can we decide on what's true. Other than that, everything else is a governance decision, and you can you can build your own networks
0: around those communities and the rules within them. That's the that's gist of it in my opinion, it's like if you can have that and you just build communities and the rules within them and then you move in and out of different communities based on what you want to be a part of and how you do that is basically what all these different blockchain ecosystems are trying to do in different ways. They're trying to build different infrastructures of doing that same thing um, and attaching value to it because most of the innovation that happened with blockchain systems is just digital scarcity. Well, like uh, trustless digital scarcity in a lot of ways. And that helps a community grow so that you can assign value to what people are doing within that community.
1: Yep. So again, like we all, we, we idealize about the idea of one protocol to rule them all. I, and I think the problem isn't that that's not the case. I, I see where Kelvin would say that's not the case. Like Kelvin's being quiet right now, but like, I see where Kelvin would get that you know, I don't think that's necessarily the case because we individually care about different things. But at the same time, when I say protocol, I don't think I mean the same thing as like Ethereum or EOS or Bitcoin or, you know, um, uh, I don't know, uh, Monero or Zcash. You know, I'm talking about a language, a basic math, almost mathematical language of of how we communicate. And if we can do that around just truth, then that's the base protocol to rule them all. And that's all we need.
2: Yeah, that's I, I completely agree there, and I think that's I yeah you know, I've looked I've been talking to a couple of people about this recently, and that's kind of the end result that you land on, where you just need some basic language so that these circles can communicate with one another, um, and it doesn't matter how the circles work, right? If you want to participate in them, you can. If you want to interact with them but not participate in the, with not participate in them. You just kind of have to understand how they work, right? If, if I'm going to a different country and I wanna participate in that economy, I'm gonna go and exchange whatever it is, my currency for theirs, I'm gonna start spending money in there. Um, but that relies on those two circles having an agreement between one another that this interaction is going to behave in a certain way.
1: right? And honestly, that could be non-controversial. That's the part, that's the part I'm trying to get. Just to saying that this, this, is, this is a thing, and this thing will exchange for that thing is literally non controversial in my opinion. Like mm-hmm. and, and what winds up happening is we, we build these thick proto- thick we build these fat protocols for 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 you know the behavior of a blockchain system with their own transactions, blah 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 blah. And and absolutely no way of communicating between each other because really all they care about at the end of the day is is this true? Am I willing to accept this as truth? Is everybody right. else willing to accept this as truth? Okay. If that's the case, then you can do an exchange. If not, reject it. Fuck it.
0: Totally. All right. Um, let's let's wrap up on that. Calvin, is there is there something that you you wish we would have talked about that that we didn't, or is this has this brought on some some thought process in your head that you'd like to get out before we before we close here? Um.
2: Oh, I have a minor one. <laughs> well, I guess it's not so minor. I've been writing a mini essay about um, trust, the concept of trust. Mm very it's it's not a clean topic it's really confusing actually and so it was interesting when you when you talked about trustlessness before and, and this i have a lot good. of
0: feelings about this we should maybe i yeah, yeah i have, <laughs> I have <laughs> I mean,
1: hop in our slack and talk because we, oh we slack's actually, not gonna cut like, it
0: i need i need real world conversation i might just come to new york for a week
1: that'd be awesome we uh we actually uh considered making a documentary series on on the concept of trust i think i mentioned that to you yeah Um, it's still on the table it's just like unfortunately life takes over sometimes and we couldn't quite close on the idea but it's still
0: on the table it's trust and delegation of it that's yeah i
1: want i want the history the story of trust like to me the the history of trust starts very early in human you know cognition and even then it's part of animal nature as well it's just an interesting interesting topic that people don't realize has so many subtleties
0: can people read this essay is it not ready when will it be out
2: it's, it's not ready. Um, I don't have a date right now, but I will let you know as soon as it is ready. Awesome. But a lot of it goes into sort of linguistics around trust, right? It's it's strange that we can have sentences like um, I I don't trust you, but I have no choice sort of but to trust you, right? There, there are kind of these two different concepts around trust where there's trust that you have in somebody and there's trust that you are required to place into somebody, yep. which is, two completely different things. And they're not quite, you know, it's strange, it's strange that we call
0: them both trust because they're, they're actually representing something very It's contextual, it's closer to faith. That's contextual. It depends on what you're discussing and and what framework you're, you're discussing it in. Totally. And and I think that makes it really, really difficult to have productive conversations around
2: what trust is because this language is just so, it's so uh,
0: delicate nuanced. Well that means nuance. that makes trust an emergent property of something else in my opinion. It's risk. Well, yeah, risk but that risk comes from something. Risk is also an emergent property of something else. It's like it's a it's a it's it's a, it's a subject. It's subjective to something that is human communication of value or of something valuable in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, there's so many weird things
2: about this. Like how how can we say that we have like a a trusty tool? Are we trusting the tool? Or are we trusting the, the people who
0: well, built the tool? That's well, a little bit of both. I mean, you're just it's it's like you you have you have assumptions and expectations, right? And you're saying I'm going to do this thing using this thing, and I trust I'm expecting it to work as as expected, and so I trust that how I'm doing this is going to work. It, I'm it's going to have the outcome that I predict. And I don't want to spend a lot of time thinking about it. And the more you do it, the more trust you place into it. The less you think about it, the more trust you place into it. And like that, that confine, it can be put into a myriad of different circumstances, whether it be like the, the movement of trust from people and traditional and traditional companies to uh, or, or finance or value to um, machines and decentralized networks that are blockchain networks and value associated mm-hmm. with those. Like Trust it and go away. It's not trustless. You're just trusting the network to take care of some of those situations, whereas beforehand you were trusting people. And so it's always kind of relative to something, but more often than not, it's, I'm expecting an outcome based on an action I'm going to do. And I'm trusting the way I do it gives me the outcome.
1: So I love this because... I've been recently thinking a lot about this myself because just of where I just started working, we talk a lot about this epsilon value, the epsilon value of, of, of our consensus protocol, right? And, like, and that's basically the possibility of error, essentially, but it's really just a, it's equivalent in blockchain to the possibility of a hash collision, okay? It's, it's, it's like, yeah, the protocol works, except under this weird scenario. And I feel like a lot of the words we use around trust are just talking about the probabilistic chance of being fucked. And mm-hmm. like, um, we're living in a world where, we are, where in our everyday personal point of view and our lives and uh, the lives of our family members and et cetera, et cetera, is we're trying to reduce that Epsilon value. And I feel like the, the, the Epsilon has a power to it that, that impacts our decision making process. And if we really knew what that Epsilon value was for most of the decisions we make in our life, we would probably make very different decisions and so I'm, I'm i'm really i really feel like trust is almost the reason we use the word trust is it's an imprecise word for describing something extremely mathematical about risk and about our ability to manage it and our ability and, and and i feel like we only have an intuition and that's why the word is so crappy because we can only ever have an intuition about trust because we can never really get to that true epsilon value of our existence and for that, we'd even have to define what failure looks like. And we don't know. Most of us don't know what our own failure looks like. We don't know what success looks like. We don't know what failure looks like. I think that's the thing that experience in life brings. It doesn't necessarily make you smarter. In fact, I think experience tends to make you care less about intelligence and more about the ability to determine what good and bad is, or at least have an opinion on it. And, and, and trust kind of surrounds that topic in a weird way and that it allows you to know
2: where not to step. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very strange topic and it certainly does have to do with how bad people are at actually performing these mental calculations. And um, and it's, it, it's weird because these blockchain protocols go ahead and they try to make these really absolute statements about trust. They try to make these just on un, unreal statements about, you know, you can always trust this, this is trustless, right? And it's, it's trying to convince people that these things work in a certain way. And I think in a lot of in a lot of ways, uh, it succeeded, but I think that success is actually detrimental, right? I think people are, it, it's caused people to forget that every single thing we do is based on this concept of trust, right, that I can walk down the street and not get punched in the face, not because I necessarily trust the people on the street not to punch me in the face, but because I say, okay, we have a legal system in place that I trust to probably prevent or or uh, incentivize people not to punch me in the face. Probably. Uh, it's statistically probably, unlikely. Right? It's it's statistically unlikely, right? So there's this, there's this mental math I'm doing. Um, and I just think that people, if they accepted the subjectivity of this, they accepted how bad people are at making these determinations, that they would end up building better protocols than rather trying to just go into this world where nothing ever changes because uh, that's, that's not how people function. And I don't, I think they're going to be very afraid to interact with these systems. Uh, if you approach it like this, cause it's, it's not human at all, right? It seems it's very mechanical.
1: Yeah, people don't like to interact with the magic box. Yeah,
0: all right, let's uh let's wrap this up. Kelvin, how can people get a hold, get in touch with you if they'd like to? Um, I'm on Twitter, or yeah, that's probably the best way to get in touch with me. So Twitter, Great. I'll make sure to add that to the show okay. notes so that they don't have to yep. listen to how you spell it. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. All right, man. Thanks Perfect. for coming on the show. I really like this. I, I'm hoping I can come up to New York for a couple days, and we can just we can we can go a little deeper into what we just talked about because that's a whole other can of worms. Absolutely, I'd love to.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Kevin.
0: Thank you.